0: Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknett. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the book, The Migraine Miracle. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom without pills. Let's get started. Howdy, folks. Welcome to another episode of The Miracle Moment. So in today's episode I'm going to be talking about hypoglycemia or also known as low blood sugar. Now this is a word that gets thrown around quite a bit, oftentimes as an explanation for all manner of symptoms um, and that includes uh, migraineurs who often attribute migraines or other symptoms uh, to hypoglycemia and that oftentimes leads to a whole set of behaviors that are believed to be either necessary to prevent it or uh, reverse it. And as we'll discuss, sometimes those behaviors or the beliefs that motivate them can stand in the way of you making progress. And because of that, I think this is a topic that's really important to understand, especially given that there's also a whole lot of mythology and misunderstanding uh, that's built up around it. So in this podcast, we're going to try to tease out the fact from fiction in this area and give you a little clarity on the whole issue of low blood sugar and hypoglycemia. Now, before we get there, I have a few uh, announcements. So our next Keto Blast Challenge launches this weekend, uh, which is October uh, 21st. And this will actually be our last Keto Blast Challenge of the year. So our next one is scheduled for February of 2019. And for those who don't know, the Keto Blast is our 30-day keto challenge, so the ketogenic diet has really taken off in the past couple of years as a therapy for many things, uh, most notably obesity and diabetes, and as some of you are likely now aware, it can also be a weapon against migraines, and I've personally been using it off and on with great success for almost eight years, in addition to the primary Migraine Miracle Plan, and have used it with great success with many patients and folks in our community. And the Ketoblast Challenge gives people a a migraine-friendly way of implementing a ketogenic diet. Um, There is no one single ketogenic diet, and there are many ways of getting into nutritional ketosis, and it's entirely possible to eat a ketogenic diet that would be quite bad for migraines. So uh, one reason for uh, creating the Ketoblast was to help folks do so in a migraine-friendly way and not in a way that might undermine their migraines. So if you'd like to take part in it, uh, you can learn more about it at keto That's K-E-T-O-F-O-R migraine.com. And if you are listening and you've missed the sign up, uh, you will find information on when our next one is taking place and you can go ahead and register then. And there are a couple of ways of taking part. One is to sign up directly for the challenge. Uh, the other is by becoming a member of Migra Neverland. As one of the benefits of membership is that you have unlimited access to all of our 30 day challenges, among the other things that you get with becoming a member. And you can learn more about uh, Migra Neverland by going to mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash end of migraine. You can also see all nine of our primary resources for uh, migraineurs by going to. MyMigrantMiracle.com and just uh, selecting the resources tab at the top. Also, if you do choose to become a member of Migraine Neverland, don't forget to enter the discount code MOMENT, that's M-O-M-E-N-T, to get $30 off your first six months as a thank you for being a podcast listener. All right, and before we dig into the topic of the day, let me first share a success quote that we recently received. This one came by way of an Amazon review, and we've had some really nice reviews lately, Uh, so a big thanks to any of you out there who've left a review on Amazon. I really do appreciate it. This one comes from Sharon, and I'll summarize it a bit. She writes, "Um, I don't usually leave reviews, but I wanted to leave a review for this book because it has helped me so much. Maybe if I leave this review, I can help someone else who has suffered with headaches. First, let me say that I have had headaches for as long as I can remember. They got worse when I became an adult, and even worse over the last several years. I have talked to every doctor I have ever had about my headaches. The best I could get was a prescription for the really bad days. I did the blood test to see what foods I might be sensitive to. I have been on an elimination diet for well over a year, but could never pinpoint any particular trigger. Sometimes I would get a headache from eating something, and sometimes I wouldn't. It was frustrating. I had given up so much without results. Then a friend was telling me that she was doing the ketogenic diet. I started searching and came across this book. Had given up gluten and sugar, but still had higher carb foods in my diet, and I was certainly not eating enough fat. Slowly I changed over to eating low carb, moderate protein, and moderate fat. I am absolutely amazed at the difference. I feel so much better. I am not tired or hungry all the time. I highly recommend this book as a place to begin solving your headache issues. I have done more research into the ketogenic diet and have decided that this is the lifestyle for me. My friends say they could never give up sugar or alcohol, but for me, it is worth it to not have a daily headache. Sugar is highly addicting and just does nothing for the body. Fat is the ticket to feeling satisfied with virtually no hunger. I have been hesitant to admit this, but I just really can't deny it anymore. I feel for the first time that I can control my headaches and am, quote, cured of the daily fatigue and pain associated with the headaches. So thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to share your experience. Uh, I think it's one that many people listening can relate to, especially uh, those who have made the change to the Migraine Miracle Plan and who have even implemented the ketogenic diet. I've said before that while I don't think long-term ketosis is necessary. We've had multiple folks now who've gone through the keto blast and felt so great that they don't want to change anything or rock the boat and they plan to continue that way indefinitely because uh, of the way they feel. And it certainly sounds like that's been Sharon's experience as well. I also like that she mentions having to sort of uh, admit to herself that not only was sugar uh, eat more evil than she'd maybe let herself believe, but also that eating more fat uh, was the ticket to getting to where she wanted to be. And speaking of sugar, let's get into the topic of today, which, as I mentioned, is hypoglycemia. So this is a term I hear mentioned quite a lot, uh, many times as a stand-in for feeling weak or shaky or lightheaded. So much so that many people will say, I'm feeling hypoglycemic as a shortcut for those symptoms. Which I think in and of itself is kind of illustrative of the problem here. And that's because in that case, we're actually describing what we think to be the cause of those symptoms and we're making a self-diagnosis that's not grounded in any data. And that'd be fine if we were right about this most of the time. So if indeed when people said that they were experiencing hypoglycemia or feeling hypoglycemic, that they were actually experiencing uh, low blood sugar and experiencing symptoms from low blood sugar. But the question is, is that true? So are we actually able to determine when we are hypoglycemic? Now you may wonder, why does this matter at all? Well, as I discussed in a recent episode about hunger headaches, the perception that our blood sugar is falling uh, influences our behavior, oftentimes in ways that can undermine our health and that can inadvertently strengthen the beast. Um, But also the use of the term reinforces this idea that we are dependent on sugar or carbohydrates for energy. Um, We've discussed many times the benefits of carbohydrate reduction when it comes to health and migraines, in addition to the benefits of intermittent fasting but oftentimes I'll hear people say well I know I need to eat every two hours or I'll get hypoglycemic or I have to eat at least three meals a day and so on so they use this idea of hypoglycemia as a justification for some unhealthy behaviors or as a reason why they can't do uh, things that might otherwise help their migraines or help their overall health in other ways so The more accurate statement in those situations would be, I currently depend on carbohydrates to not feel hungry or tired or fatigued or irritable every few hours, which should then prompt the question of why that is and how best to address it which in most instances is going to be an issue with metabolic flexibility in other words if that's the case if you're experiencing those kind of symptoms if you feel like you're dependent on eating every few hours or carbohydrates every few hours um, that should prompt an investigation as to the root cause which is almost never going to be an insufficient amount of carbohydrates in the diet and these ideas are driven by this belief that goes something like number one when i get hungry it's because my blood sugar is is low and number two if my blood sugar is low and I don't eat bad things will happen because of low blood sugar so let's dig in here to this issue so when it comes to self-diagnosing with low blood sugar there are really two things that must be true for that diagnosis to be correct the first is that the blood sugar is actually low or in a range where symptoms could at least conceivably occur. And the second is that if the blood sugar is, sugar is low, is that actually the source of the symptoms? So for example, two people could have the same exact blood sugar, and one, per, one person experienced true symptoms and the other person doesn't. So how could that be? Well, that's because sugar isn't our only source of energy. As I've discussed in the past, we have two primary sources of fuel, Uh, glucose, or sugar, and fatty acids, and if you go extended periods of time with restricting carbohydrates or with eating a ketogenic diet, then the proportion of energy that you're deriving from fats is increasing, and it's not uncommon at all for people who've been ketogenic for extended periods of time uh, to have blood sugars in the range of 40s with uh, zero symptoms, in fact, quite the opposite, they may feel uh, more energy than ever, And that's because they're deriving their fuel, the majority of their fuel, from elsewhere, uh, not from their blood sugar. And this is totally normal. But for someone who is carbohydrate dependent, such as eating a standard Western diet, a sugar of 40 uh, would typically be insufficient to maintain consciousness, so they'd probably be passed out. So this alone illustrates that there's a lot more complexity and nuance surrounding this topic than I think most people realize. So as I mentioned, for us to even be able to accurately self-diagnose hypoglycemia, the first requirement is that we can actually determine when our sugar is low. And turns out this is something that's been studied. So one of those studies was published in 2006 in the Journal of Nutrition and Metabolism and there they took uh, 158 people who were having some GI symptoms and they divided them into two groups. Uh, a control group and a, and a study group and over the course of seven weeks half of the people were trained on how to identify low blood sugar uh, by checking their sugar about 15 minutes before mealtimes and then the other half they didn't test didn't test their blood sugar during that seven-week period also the group that received the training was was told to eat only based on feelings of hunger rather than by the clock so not according to meal times, but instead according to hunger and incidentally, uh, within a few days, they were no longer adhering to our typical uh, mealtime routine. Um, also, the train with the train group, uh, when they checked their sugar, if it was over 85, they were instructed to delay their meal. And if it was under 85, they were instructed to remember those feelings uh, that they would associate with a lower blood sugar and then to eat. And so what they did was then, at the end of the training, test how well... Uh, the subjects could determine what their blood sugar was. And what they found when they brought them back in the lab at the end of the training was that far more of the control subjects, so the ones who hadn't been uh, testing their sugar, not only said that they were hungry uh, but they also, uh, on average, estimated their blood sugar to be far lower than it actually was. And then far fewer people in the trained group said that they were hungry and the ones who did were very accurate at estimating about what their blood sugar was. So, in other words, uh, the group that had gotten the training, uh, their hunger was more directly tied to blood sugar levels, and the untrained group, which which essentially represents a typical person, um, their hunger was not directly tied to the blood sugar levels. So, the key takeaway here being that the untrained group was unable to predict when their blood sugar was low. In particular. When they were feeling hungry and predicted that their blood sugar was low or that they were hypoglycemic, their sugar was typically normal. It also means that the eating behavior in those who were untrained, the control group, was driven by factors other than their energy needs. So they were eating and becoming hungry for reasons other than the fact that they needed more energy. And obviously that's a key driver when we're thinking about things like obesity, because the problem, one of the problems with obesity is that we're taking in energy into the body when it, it isn't needed, and in that case, it will be stored in the fat tissue. So what this study shows, and which is also what I found in the clinic, is that we aren't good at estimating our own blood sugar and that unless we've been trained to recognize it, when we say we're feeling hypoglycemic, we actually aren't experiencing low blood sugar. And so whatever feelings we're experiencing that we're attributing to low blood sugar are not from that, but from something else. And that also means that eating, and specifically eating carbohydrates in that scenario, is not the right course of action, even though that's the one that's commonly taken. So how come we aren't very good at knowing when we are hypoglycemic Um, and also why don't we realize that we're not very good at it well it turns out that there are a number of things that contribute to our feeling of hunger um... yet our typical idea i think most people have is that hunger is primarily driven by our blood sugar levels so we essentially equate hunger to low blood sugar but we know from the neuroscience of hunger that feelings of hunger are actually based on a number of different inputs So hunger itself is a feeling generated by our hypothalamus. So that's a structure in the brain that some of you may know uh, is of special importance to the migraineur. And the role of the hypothalamus is to maintain homeostasis or stable conditions inside of the body, and that includes energy levels. And one of the ways it helps us to maintain homeostasis is by generating feelings, and those feelings then provoke us to change our behavior. So, for example, if we're staying out in the the sun too long and our body's getting too hot, the hypothalamus will generate that feeling we associate with heat uh, so that we'll then seek cooler conditions and lower our body temperature. Um, In addition, it also makes us feel hungry if it thinks that we are in need of food for some reason. But when our hypothalamus is deciding whether or not to generate that hunger signal, it's actually tracking many different parameters. So, for example, it tracks how far the stomach is distended, uh, which is transmitted from nerves there, so if your stomach is bigger, it typically means there's food in there, so it will inhibit your hunger. It's also tracking the levels of a variety of hormones, so things like insulin, uh, which is released in the presence of carbohydrates, Um, ghrelin, which is uh, released when the stomach is empty, Uh, leptin, which is released from the fat tissue uh, as kind of a marker of energy stores, And yes, it also does track blood sugar, though the studies indicate that the rate of change of blood sugar may be as or more important than the actual level in terms of the contribution of blood sugar to hunger. And then on top of that, there are all sorts of psychological factors that uh, play a role through conditioning into whether or not we feel hungry. So we all know we can smell fresh popcorn or freshly baked brownies and suddenly we feel like eating. Um, Yet nothing has changed in that scenario with our blood sugar or our energy levels. This is entirely a conditioned response. And one big way we're all conditioned, which was reflected in the results of this study, is with meal times. So with the standard three meals a day routine, we learn to feel hungry at certain times of day. And again, uh, that conditioned hunger has nothing to do with whether or not we actually need to eat, and again, nothing to do with our blood sugar. I think anyone with a pet will know this phenomenon uh, very well, that you can pretty much uh, condition your pet to get hungry at whatever time of day you want based on the time, uh, time or times when you decide to feed them. So they will soon uh, start eating by the clock if you keep that uh, timing consistent every day. And we are no different. So suffice to say that uh, the regulation of hunger is an extraordinarily complex process and has to do with many things beyond blood sugar. It also happens to be a system that's screwed up big time in the context of our modern diet and lifestyle because it's these signals uh, that are given to the hypothalamus and our hypothalamus' response to those signals was calibrated in an environment that's very different than the one we find ourselves in now. So not only are those feelings of hunger and satiety based on much more than just blood sugar, uh, the entire system for energy regulation, uh, the fidelity of that system, is compromised considerably, uh, at least in the context of a modern uh, diet. So then, if most people are under the impression that hunger is mainly a product of our blood sugar, And if the reality is that it's the culmination of many different factors, only one of which is blood sugar, and some of which, like conditioning, aren't even connected at all to our energy needs, then you'd predict that humans wouldn't be very good at predicting uh, when their blood sugar is low. And you'd predict that they would primarily have a lot of false positives, which is exactly what the study found. So as I mentioned earlier, the reason that hypoglycemia is a thing in the first place uh, is something we care about is because we think that it explains certain feelings we have, like hunger, but others as well. And also because we think that it's inherently a bad thing that's in need of immediate correction. Now, we've already established that we're generally wrong on the first count. We aren't very good at correctly self-diagnosing hypoglycemia unless we've specifically been trained to do so. But the second part of this is also uh, inaccurate. We can derive, as I mentioned earlier, we can derive our energy from multiple sources. And that includes glucose or sugar. So if our blood sugar is dropping, we do have stored glucose uh, in the form of glycogen, and we can also manufacture glucose in the process known as gluconeogenesis. And so we have hormones that respond to drops in blood sugar that allow us to uh, tap into those sugar stores or manufacture it to try to maintain stable uh, blood sugar levels and then on top of that we have loads of energy stored inside of the fat tissues that can keep the typical person with a normal amount of body fat uh, meeting their energy needs without food at all uh, for well over a month And furthermore, as many of you know, uh, in the presence of a low-carbohydrate diet or without any food in the diet, uh, the brain will also start running on ketones. We can turn stored fat into ketone bodies that can then be sent to the brain and used as an alternate energy source uh, to glucose. Now, once again, the reason I think all this matters to the migraineur in particular is because it often leads to counterproductive behaviors like feeling an urge to eat uh, when you're feeling what you think is hypoglycemic, and a tendency to prefer uh, simple carbohydrates when you do choose to eat. So eating too frequently and eating the wrong kinds of foods when you do. So leads to eating behaviors that undermine health and increase our vulnerability to the beast. And it also leads to people avoiding things like carbohydrate restriction or intermittent fasting that we also know to be beneficial. And while it's true that significant hypoglycemia can occur and can be a serious thing and cause brain injury it is uh, a rare thing and really not seen out of, outside of pathological situations. So I've been a practicing neurologist since 2001 and have only seen the very rare cases of brain injury from low blood sugar and every single one of those was in the setting of a diabetic who was administering a drug to lower blood sugar, usually insulin. So in this case, the only situations where I was seeing uh, hypoglycemia uh, severe enough to uh, injure the brain was in cases where we were doing things that deliberately interfered with our body's own uh, mechanism for regulating blood sugar. And so if someone is experiencing symptoms that they truly believe are from hypoglycemia, uh, the first step would be to make sure that's the right diagnosis and if so it should then prompt an investigation as to the root cause there really isn't anything more important to our survival than sustaining a stable supply of energy to the brain and we have many different safety mechanisms in place to ensure that that happens so true hypoglycemia while uh... incredibly overdiagnosed, is pretty rare And if it's occurring in the set context of daily food intake, would definitely indicate a pathological condition that's in need of further investigation. So again, if you suspect any issues with hypoglycemia, the first step would be to test it. And uh, glucometers are pretty inexpensive and can be uh, obtained at the drugstore. At the very least, if you do track your blood sugar for a period of time, uh, you'll be able to train yourself to accurately recognize when your blood sugar is low uh, or on the low side like those uh, who are in the study. Okay, so that wraps up this episode of The Miracle Moment. Remember that you can find this and all other episodes of The Miracle Moment at mymigrainemiracle.com forward slash moment. And there you'll also find uh, the transcripts for each of the episodes along with the links that are mentioned. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to help others find it, It'd be great if you left a rating and review in iTunes. Uh, it really does help. Uh, I do read each and every one of them, and they really mean a lot to me. And finally, as a reminder, our next Keto Blast Challenge starts this coming weekend, so you can learn more and sign up or find out when our next one is ha- happening by going to keto Okay, now it's time to go out and slay the beast.